Did you know that you can have peaceful and productive relationships in all areas of your life? How are your relationships with your creator, with yourself, with your children, with your partner? My name is Nina Spina. I'm a family community counselor and I'm a certified positivity practitioner. I've been a parent educator and a family supporter for the past 20 years. In this time, I have gathered an amazing amount of information about what works in parenting, healthy communication, and relationships. You know what else I have found? A whole bunch of nonsense that doesn't. It pulls us away from our God-given purpose to connect with others and heaps a whole bunch of mama guilt after utilizing it. What I want to do is connect you to the great resources that are evidence-based and trauma-informed to the be of the mama who can lay her head down at night and sleep. A wife who knows she is loving in a true, authentic, godly way. For a survivor who doesn't want to just survive in life, but thrive in relationships. Come join me as I share with you stories, resources, and books that I have found to help me up-level my parenting, relationships, especially the relationship with my God and myself. If you're willing to join me, go grab a drink, mix it up, and lend me your ear. We're going to have a laugh, maybe a good cry together, and walk away from this with a little more hope that the next interaction with those we love is going to be a little more love-filled than the last one. Okay, so I really like to read stories, and I found the story while I was preparing, so this has to do with our class today, and so it's this cute little book. I don't know if all the stories are cute, but we own two editions of it, and I found a cute one in here today that I felt like was relevant. So today we're talking about having happy family gatherings, even when that difficult person shows up. So I just thought we'd read a fun story to start off. There's no pictures, though, today, so I'm not showing you any pictures. I'm just going to read. So story time. The three codependent goats gruff. Once on a lovely mountainside, there lived three goats who were related as siblings. Their name was Gruff, and they were very close family. During the winter months, they lived in a lush green valley, eating grass and doing other things in a naturally goatish manner. When summer came, they would travel up the mountainside to where the pasture was sweeter. This way, they did not overgraze their valley and kept their ecological footprint as small as possible. To get to this pasture, the coats had to cross a bridge over a wide chasm. When the first days of summer came, one goat set out to cross the bridge. This goat was the least chronologically accomplished of the siblings and thus had to achieve the least superiority in size. When he reached the bridge, he lashed on his safety helmet and grabbed the handrail, but as soon as he began to cross, there was a menacing growl that came from beneath the bridge. Over the railing and onto the bridge left a troll, hairy, dirty, accomplished, and odor-enhanced. Arg, intoned the troll, I am the keeper of this bridge, and while goats may have the right to cross it, I will eat any who try. But why, Mr. Troll, bleated the goat, because I'm troll and proud of it. I have a troll's needs, and those needs include eating goats, so you'd better respect them or else. The goat was frightened. Certainly, sir, he stammered, if I, if eating me would help you become a more complete troll, nothing would please me more. But I really can't commit to that course of action without first consulting my siblings. Would you excuse me? And the goat ran back to the valley. 
Next, the middle sibling goat came up to the bridge. The goat was more chronologically advanced than the first goat and so enjoyed an advantage in size, although this did not make him a better or more deserving goat. He was about to cross the bridge when the troll stopped him. Nature has made me a troll, he said, and I embrace my trollhood. Would you deny me my right to live a life as a troll if I can? Me never, exclaimed the goat proudly. Then stand there while I come over and eat you up. And don't try to run away. I would take that as a personal affront. He began to invade the goat's personal space. However, blurted the goat, I have a very close family, and it would be selfish of me to allow myself to be eaten without asking their opinion. I have respect for their feelings, too. I would hate to think that my absence would cause them any emotional stress if I hadn't asked them first. Go then, scream the troll. I'll rush back here as soon as we reach a consensus, said the goat, for it's not fair to keep you in suspense. You're too kind, sighed the troll, and the goat ran softly back to the valley. As his hunger grew, the troll began to feel very grieved. When the third goat came to the bridge, the troll discovered that he was nearly twice the troll's size, with large, sharp horns and hard, heavy hooves. The troll felt his physical intimidation fading fast. As fear turned his insides into jelly, the troll sank to his knees and pleaded, Oh, please, oh, please forgive me. I was using you and your goat siblings for my own selfish ends, and I don't know what drove me to it, but I have seen the error in my ways. The goat, too, got down on what passed for knees in goats and said, Now, now, you can't take all the blame for yourself. Our presence and supreme edibility put you in this situation. My siblings and I feel terrible. You must forgive us. The troll began to sob. No, no, it's my fault. I threatened and bully you all for the sake of my own survival. How selfish I was. But the goat would have none of this. We were the selfish ones. We only want to save our own skins, and we totally neglected your needs. Please eat me now. No, the troll said. You must butt me off this bridge for my insensitivity and selfishness. I'll do no such thing, said the goat, since we all tempted you in the first place. Here, have a chomp. Go ahead. I'm telling you, the troll insisted, standing up. I am the guilty one here. Knock me off this bridge and be quick about it. Look, said the goat, rearing his full height. No one is going to take away my blame for this, not even you. So eat me before I pop you in the nose. Don't play guiltier than thou with me, hornhead. Hornhead, you smelly hairball, I'll show you guilt. And with that, they wrestled and bit and punched and kicked as each sought to do to take the mantle of blame. The other goats bound up the bridge and sized up the fight, feeling guilty and not accepting enough blame. They joined the others in a whirling ball of hair, hoofs, horns, and teeth. But the little bridge was not to carry such a weight. It shook and it swayed and finally buckled, hurling the troll and the three codependent grouse into the chasm. On their way down, they felt such relief because they finally got what they deserved. And as a bonus, a little extra guilt for the fate of the others. So I thought that was such an appropriate story to start off our family gathering. So when you think about family gatherings, what feeling comes up for you? Is it excitement? Is it joy? Is it stress? Is it avoidance? (laughs) Um, as I started planning this master class, I was thinking about the different family gatherings that I've been to that I've really enjoyed. 
Um, I, if you follow my email at all, I've definitely shared where I've had some enjoyable family gatherings. Like um, my aunt, when I was a little girl, she would get us together. Anybody from the extended family, she had no children of her own and she would get us together and we'd have a cookout and people would bring things and she had a huge backyard and there'd be all these games and um, it would be a really pleasant experience. And I've been at church gatherings that had, you know, enjoyable times, food and games, and music and all different things. And so I've done creative family gatherings. Like um, when I lived in New York and I would visit Texas, we would have a birthday for all the cousins. And so that was something I initiated. I don't know if you ever watched Alice in Wonderland, but they have that whole scene where they all jump around the table eating different food. And so we had a gathering where we could, you know, each try different things. And it celebrated all the kids as cousins and, you know, that their birthday still mattered, even though we couldn't be there on their actual birthday. So, but a lot of times I feel like when we start thinking about family gatherings, like I have friends who have a lot of birthdays for June. So like their whole June is crazy. I actually have two friends like that. And so it's like birthday after birthday, anniversary. And sometimes I think we feel we lose the joy, right? And so instead of it becoming like a have to, like one person shared with me, it brings anxiety up for them. It becomes a should, not enjoy. So I should be getting ready for this. I have to make this meal. I put these expectations on ourselves and all of a sudden, right, we're feeling really heavy and overwhelmed. The joy has gone out of it. And we also have a lot of unrealistic expectations we might put on ourselves. So we might be the host of the family gathering and that could put on unrealistic expectations on ourselves. It might be that we are going to somebody's house and so we're not in our sort of domain. We might have food restrictions like food allergies or that we need to bring our own food. And it's funny with food how people can feel really uncomfortable. I know in the Italian culture, if you go to someone's house and they offer you food and you don't eat it, it's like an insult to their character because they think that you're saying that they're dirty. So um, if you have something that you want to put in the question and answer section about a comment for that, I know for me as a preacher's wife, we have a lot of people over to eat. And so there's been a lot of varied food allergies or different things. And so just understanding sort of the culture around food, just the food alone at the family gathering could be a stressful thing. And so what if we just set the should list aside, right? What if we just looked at the summer and we said, you know what, I'm really looking forward to the 4th of July, but I'm not going to stress about what should or should not happen on that day. Do you think we could do that? Do you think that it would be possible to look at things in a different perspective so that we can feel really comfortable with being around people? Is there a way that when you are thinking about the people that you're going to be around that you might look at it in a different perspective, right? So a lot of times when we're getting together with a group of people, we sometimes hyper-focus, right? on that one person who's going to bring up something religious or bring up something political or bring up something that happened wrong at the last family gathering, right? And sometimes I know in my family growing up, there was even this hype that came before the family gathering, right? 
So like one aunt would be calling the other aunt to say, do you remember what happened at the last family gathering? And who thinks this is going to happen at this family gathering? And do you think that person is going to show up? And if you had family gatherings with alcohol, which we definitely did when I was a kid, it was who was going to drink too much and who was going to get upset with who for drinking. And so it became like this soap opera. Like as a child, it was like this huge emotionally charged event, right? And as an adult, flip that forward, right? It became a place where you might think, hmm, I wonder what drama is going to stir up this time or I wonder what's going to go on here. And then there's other people who feel such anxiety and stress, right? They don't even want to go. And then the sad part about that is, right, that we have this family and kids that would love to be around each other, but nobody can be around everybody because everybody's fighting. So what I'd like to do is just think if we took the idea off of how we could affect ourselves and how we could affect others and in what way. Could we really take that and have ownership over it, right? So the first thing that we're going to do, because as I said, we've talked about some things that might be causing a little anxiety right now, is we're all going to just take a deep breath together, okay? So we're going to breathe in. And we're going to hold it for a few seconds. And then we're going to let it out slowly. That felt so good. Maybe we should do it one more time. Ready? So when we breathe, right, it activates our parasympathetic nerve and we can all just calm down a little bit, right? And so the point behind this is that sometimes we can get so focused on the future and not on the presence of today that we we completely ruin our time before we even get to the event, right? And so what can we can control today? What is going to make us feel more calm? So if we do have food allergies, are there things we can bring with us so that we make sure our children and us are taken care of? If we're serving it at our house, are there people coming that we might be able to make some accommodations for? If there's um, a time frame, right? So there's a certain time frame. And if you're going to get past that time frame, you're going to feel stress and anxiety. Then maybe you plan ahead. And so you're only going to be there for that time frame. But there can be lots of options of ways that you can deal with that. But one of the things that I want to talk about is how we present ourselves to others when we're at a family gathering. So one of the stories that was recently shared with me is that we can be in a very hurtful situation, right? And love is a choice, okay? Because we're human, right? So we're fallible, we're flawed, we could hurt each other. And so you know, you think back to people who maybe have experienced horrific events like the Holocaust or like my teacher shared a story about a Holocaust that was going on in a third world country in Africa and how they had to, four, nine women stayed in this little teeny bathroom for like 90 days being protected sort of in this horrible war zone situation. Or like, there's a there's a movie called 42, which is about Jackie Robinson and how he was just so treated with racism because of him coming into the baseball industry when he did. Right. And how there was just this huge emotional intensity around his skin color and how he was at, at treated. Right. I was recently at a training where 
someone who was of Asian descent was talking about the horrible racism that they experienced just because of COVID and because people associate COVID as coming from China. So I think it's super important to realize that hurt happens, right? And we don't want to be treated that way. We can all probably think of an incident where we were misjudged because of our you know, gender or our skin color or our race and how that made us feel badly or even our food choices. I've seen that happen a lot with people. But when that happens, we have an option, right? We can choose to love or we can choose to hate, right? Those are our two choices, right? Love or hate. So if those were our only two options, right, we might choose hate. And so if we were going to do that, how would we act around someone that we wanted to treat with hate? Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about. What are some of the things that we're doing during a family gathering that could actually be projected to other people that would seem like hate? So the first thing is that would we, we would assume the worst, right? So we don't know what people's our intentions are. We definitely don't know how to read their minds, although sometimes I like to. How about you? I'm usually wrong, right? But we assume their motives, their intentions, and we always assume that it's malevolent, right? They always are thinking about the worst. They're out to get us. And then what does our lower brain do, right? Do you remember from last time? So our lower brain wants to conserve energy, prove that we are right, right? And justify that. Or it wants to conserve energy, seek pleasure, and avoid discomfort right? So the second that we start thinking about that person who drives us crazy at that 4th of July picnic, our lower brain is going to start giving us all of this evidence. I recently had a good friend call it our feeling brain. And it will just sit there and it will give you all the evidence of why that person is out to get you and to make your life miserable. And that they purposely put the olives in the dip, even though they knew you didn't like the olives in the dip, right? And so you know, we start looking at things in a very negative way. Did our husband bring home flowers because he made a bad choice last week while he was away? Do um, roses mean something? And so all of a sudden we're suspicious about that, right? They couldn't mean that we're just being loved. There's upsides and there's downsides. But when we are in that hate mode, we tend to magnify a lot. And um, so what we want to do is look at our perceptions and think, okay, what about hate is it that we judge, right? And so one of the things I want to talk about is there are a series of relationships that we have, right? So ideally, the first relationship we should have, our first priority should be God, right? God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, our creator. Then our second relationship should be ourself. And sometimes when we're talking about this hate, which is why I'm bringing this up, This is the first person that we attack. So instead of showing kindness, compassion, forgiveness, what do we show instead? We're demanding of ourselves. We're critical. We're harsh. We're judgmental. If anybody's ever felt that way towards themselves, could you put a comment in the question section about that? Because it's definitely been a struggle for me, right? And so what I want you to remember is that when I'm talking about these things, just like in the airplane, when they have that cute little saying, and if you've flown, you know, any time in the last 20 years, right, they show you the oxygen mask and the oxygen mask is down. And who do they say that you need to put it on first? You, right? If you don't put it on you first, you're not going to be able to help someone else. And then no one's going to get help. So 
We have to take care of ourselves. Well, that's true with family relationships also. So we have to remember that we need to be taking care of ourselves, okay? Then in the next person in our family relationship is going to be our spouse. And I know that can be tricky for some of us, right? Because we have close sibling relationships. We are we love our children. Our children came from us, right? But really in the in the way that God created it, our spouse should be our next important person in our relationships. After this is our children. Remember, our children are with us for a short period of time. Hypothetically, our marriage is with us for a lifetime, right? So we want to make sure that we're keeping that in perspective. Our children are going to grow up. They're going to leave the house. I'm definitely at that stage with some of my children right now. And then they're going to go off and they're going to find relationships and they're going to get married. And then they're going to have children, right? So we want to make sure that we're um, putting a priority on our relationship with our spouse. Obviously, our children come next. And then after that would be our extended family. And I know for a lot of us who grew up in a dysfunctional house like myself, where there was definite trauma bonding, our family seemed so enmeshed, right? That to even think about not putting our sister first or our mother first or our grandparent first or our aunt first, it could become very, very stressful, right? But this is just in an ideal family situation. And then after that, it would be friends, charities, Church projects, that would be your next group. And then finally, it would be things. And I know things sounds like an odd thing to be talking about at family gatherings, but things are another thing we have a relationship with, right? Whether it's money, whether it's stuff in our house, whether it's property. And so we want to make sure that as we're looking at these hate and love choices that I'm talking to you about, that we keep all of those relationships in perspective, because when they get out of order, then it's going to get really hard, right? So the first thing about hate, does anybody remember what I said? What the first step was? Assume the worst. Okay. The second step is practice pride, right? So Weird Al, um, I don't know if anybody remembers Weird Al, but he says, why does this always happen to me? The lyrics depict someone watching television when a special report interrupts, right? We always are watching at like the height of the movie and all of a sudden it interrupts. So, you know, why does this have to happen? My soap opera is more important. So a good hater has to make sure that they're totally thinking completely about themselves and the focus is on us, right? So the universe is out to conspire against us. It is our mother-in-law's goal to make our life miserable. Our father-in-law only cooks salmon because he knows that I hate it. Okay. That's going to be pride. So when someone hurts or offends you, you blame them. How you feel, it's all their fault. You had nothing to do with it. When you get tired of blaming them, then you might blame yourself. And then blame them because you are blaming yourself, right? So you're going to take up this big space. You're going to run out extra rooms in your house, all to fill up the fact that you're blaming, right? So you've heard the phrase, right? Take the higher road. And... What do you have to do to take the higher road? Mount your high horse to do it, right? So you refuse to forgive because if you don't, if you forgive, right, then you're moving out of hate. You can't forgive and hate. So then you find out um, who can you belong to, right? So who else will get on your bandwagon and totally agree with you? So that's going to help your goal of hate. So step three. So we got step one, right? Assume the worst. Step two, pride. Step three, think to destroy, okay? 
So our mind has ability to come up with dozens of ways to hurt and destroy, right? So use your imagination as your tool of destruction. Demand fairness and justice. Think about the way that these people have wronged you. Value property over people. Exploit power to gain power. Exploit people to gain power. Trust your fear more than your faith. Let your grievance fester and boil inside of you and replay it over and over and over in your head. Recreate memories in a way that allows you to hate the person who offended you even more. Okay. And then you're going to take that and you're going to retell the story. You're going to find anyone who will listen so that you can play back how you were mistreated, misunderstood, misquoted, judged, and offended. When you choose hate, it makes a lot of difference how you carry yourself. The worst thing you can do is hold your head up and smile because then you'll start to feel better. So if you're going to be hateful, then you have to also show your body that. So you're going to be downcast. And you're going to hold yourself in misery, okay? So your goal is to stay miserable and hate, okay? So assume the worst, pride, and then think to destroy, right? This was a big eye-opener for me, which is why I'm sharing it for you today. I think back to family occasions that I was at where I was 100% sure I knew what that person was thinking, And then my action self-fulfilled that scenario. So this was a really big deal for me. I wonder if any of you are having light bulb moments go off with this. So then the other choice is love, right? Even just hearing the word love, I have to tell you, I feel less stressed out. How about you? I'm going to take a quick drink. Did anybody make a drink today to join me? I always wonder when I say it, if somebody's going to like shake up a margarita, put it over ice, put some salt on the rim. Anyway, it always makes me laugh when I say it. But really, I was talking about my pink drink or, you know, tea. So with love, there's also three choices, right? So if we're going to assume the worst and hate, what do you think our choice is going to be with love? We're going to assume the best, right? About everyone, especially those who hurt you. We don't know for sure what people's intentions are, their perceptions, their motives. So we have to assume that they have a benevolent intent. Look for evidence that they're good. Stay positive. How do you feel when life dumps on you? How would you like to feel? Focus right now on any tough situation you're going through. Now, without minimizing what you're facing, consider two ways you're looking at it. Things should have been better and about to get worse. Hate choice. Things could have been worse and are about to get better. Love choice. Which perspective do you want to choose, right? Which gives you the best energy to deal with whatever the problem is that you're dealing with. Things are exactly as they should be according to everything around us, right? Physics, gravity, cause and effect, our business, our relationships are exactly where they should be. When litter is launched in a downward thrust toward the lawn, Law of physics, right? Takes over. We're in a super windy environment right now. And I'm telling you, the law of physics is definitely taking place right now. Or the other day we woke up. Oh, Anna was so excited. <laughs> Guys, we woke up and there were three drips coming down in fire in front of the fireplace. Now, obviously, as an adult, I'm not assuming the best in this situation. I'm thinking about how we have to call someone for help. How there's water trapped in the ceiling. It could get on the piano. All these things, right? My six-year-old is like, this is the best day ever. 
I have a job. I have to put pots under the drips. I'm going to have to change these drips every hour. I am so excited. I might not be able to take a nap today because there might be so much water in the pot that I'm going to have to empty them. I mean, you would not believe how excited she got about the leaky ceiling. Okay. So we have to choose. What are we going to think about it? Most people, and I'm not, I need to put a disclaimer in because I have a history of trauma and abuse, and I am not talking about situations where someone is intentionally abusing you or hurting you in ways that violate your person, your character, your space. Okay. This is not what we're talking about. If we set that group of people aside, most people are trying to just do their best. Okay. And they try to do the right thing. They're trying to make good choices. And if I put me in their spot and their spot in mine, then I may be able to see where they're coming from. So we want to look at how to make predictions about healing and forgiveness. Anticipate that others can also make a love choice, right? So we want to remember that with love, we are going to what? What was our first one? I got a little long-winded. We're going to assume the best. And then we're going to practice humility, right? So the love choice helps us take things less personally. Instead of saying, why me? Say, why not me? Which is equally legitimate, but less frequent to ask questions. The Bible suggests God's, God causes the rain to fall on both the just and the unjust. Difficulty and challenge is universal. It happens to and for everyone. We know we're right. It's not that we think we're right. We know we're right. That is that ha, This has us treating each other horribly. We can absolutely be wrong and still know we're right. Exchange being right for being open. Did you hear me? Exchange being right for being open. Okay? So I want you to think about a time where you may have decided that you needed to be very, very right and how you might be able to be open. So our teacher told us about this story of how he was invited to go on a fire walk. And I have to be honest with you, it's not my gig. Okay? I have no interest in walking over fire. But hey, more power to you. So he decides to go on this fire walk. He has to, even has to fill out a waiver that if he gets hurt, he doesn't get to claim anything, right? But he just figured he was going to watch, right? So he knew he was right. He was 100% sure that he was going to get burnt. And his friend said, you can walk on burning coals with bare feet and you will your feet will remain in perfect condition, Right. So what was my teacher's reaction, his hate choice reaction? Yeah, right. I'm about to walk on fire. How many times had my teacher walked on fire at that point? Zero. How many times had the man who was encouraging him to try this out and to learn this new brain space walk on fire? Probably hundreds. He had taken thousands of people across coals in 20 years. Yet, with my teacher's destructive pride, what did he know? He knew he was absolutely right and that his teacher was absolutely wrong, right? So what was the love choice? The love choice was stepping onto the coals and intentionally acknowledging what we already know might be off. It's a leap of faith. He walked on the coals, my teacher, Dr. Paul, on the coals three times that night. First to leap, second to give up being right, and third to embrace being open. What else did he know for sure about his grievances or limitations about which he was dead wrong? Humbly ask, what is the most loving choice? Is my choice really a hate choice disguised as a love choice? Is it that we want to actually 
show that we're being right through our niceness. It's super important that we want to remember that with choosing humility, that we do it in a genuine and full of integrity way. What message are we sending our children, our grandchildren, our friends and neighbors? Remember me telling you back at the beginning the story about how we had people that would just perpetuate drama at our family occasions. That taught me as a child that when you got together at family gatherings, what were they for? Drama, intrigue, suspense. Who was going to get the drunkest, right? That's not the, that's not the legacy that we want to pass on to our children. So what are we choosing for our children, our grandchildren, our friends and neighbors, those we go to church with? How are we showing them that we are choosing love? Are we going to show them healthy choices? Or are we going to show it with vulnerability? So we're going to have humility, right? So does anybody remember our first love step? Assume the best, right? Our second love step was practice humility. And our third one is think to create. So the, the opposite of thinking to destroy, right, is thinking to create. So in the love choice, we can we consider what we can change or control and what we cannot, right? So if you think back to the serenity prayer, it says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The one thing we can control is our perception. Perception guides our choice about what to do or not do about our situation. Do we allow a default, usually negative or a hate choice, reaction, or do we choose love? What happens to us is not nearly as important as what? How we react to it. Whatever happens. So we choose to see things from that perspective. We choose power and not victim. So... I want to leave you with that thought, and I want you to hopefully remember the next time that you go together at a family gathering, even with that difficult person that you might not want to be with, that you remember to choose love over hate.